Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. All is well. Back in the shed, and it's exceptionally wet. Is it raining that much with you? Yeah, it's very, very damp, I'm going to go with. Fair enough. It hasn't been that bad here today. It was exceptionally wet yesterday, but then that's just Swansea. I don't know. I love Swansea, so I think even on a wet day, Swansea looks pretty ace. Later on in the show, I'm going to talk about a live thing I went to and had some quality jokes about Swansea, which if I remember by then, I will share one from from the crew I went to. It was very well done, but great. Anyway, here we are. Wake from sleep, episode 61 for the 21st of March, 2023. Strange to follow up then. Over to you. Yeah, over to me. Last week, I was frantically hunting around trying to remember the name of the watch strap that I got for my Apple Watch Ultra. I bought a Zulu Alpha strap, the Apple strap specifically from that company. It was after I saw a review on The Verge for them. I thought, oh, that looks interesting. And the thing that caught my eye about it, which will resonate with you, is it was bright orange, the particular one, which there is some, what did Apple call it? Marine orange? Uh, Mine's called bright orange. And then they've, which is a sports strap and then they've also got the alpine one which came with the apple watch ultra which looked fantastic the day you get it but does not age well so i'm curious to see how well your new strap ages but it does look a great orange it's a very strong orange it matches really well the actual orange buttons on the apple watch which is one of the things i do like about it yeah it looks like they've got the color better than apple themselves to be fair because the bright orange sport band i bought is a, is very pastely and the not it's not the solar loop the braided loop that they do somebody posted that on twitter recently sorry not twitter mastodon and it just looked incredibly washed out and it's like oh it could have been so much better all you had to do was make it the inter- all everybody wants is that international orange color made by apple can we have one of those and if they did that i think they'd sell a load I agree. I think they would. Obviously, the watch is shifting well. It's funny. I look around and I see so many people wearing Apple Watches. Not so many Ultras, but there's so many Apple Watches these days amongst people. And we've talked before about, you know, Fitbit's market share declining, Google not really supporting what's going on there, because I guess they want to move people to their own line of watches, or certainly Samsung's line of watches. Android Android Wear, I think it's called. I was going to say Google Wear, but I think you might be right. I think the OS is Android Wear. Yeah, it is. Anyway, that's that's by the by. You've seen a lot of them. So I tend to look at what people's on people's wrists. And it's the brighter straps people tend to wear, for sure. There's not that many of the dull ones. People want to sort of liven it up. Yeah, I generally think people want a bit of colour in their lives. I think we, we, all, we all crave a little bit of colour, I think. So, uh, you know, what? I, I mentioned last week I was going on a course. And actually, whilst I was on the course, I was, I was there with the tw- 12 other candidates. And if memory serves, I think 10 out of 12 had a watch on it was very interesting how high the ratio of apple watch to non-apple watch users were Hmm. anyway i meant to be talking about the straps i'll talk about the strap the company is called zula alpha they seem to supply straps of this sort to the british military which is why they've got sort of a vaguely sort of military looking logo with like double anchors on it the apple strap specifically you can get for 38 40 and 41 millimeter watches in a variety of lengths the you can choose the buckle type, whether you want it to be stainless steel or black to match in. And then I'm amused by the colours other than the orange that caught my eye. There's a real James Bond theme going on in amongst the colours. So you can pick Bond, Craig and Connery. So that, that amuses me no end, actually, that you can get your watch in Connery colour. I, I was kind of enjoying that you could get Commando Green and Admiralty, Admiralty Grey, you know. So I, I quite like what they've done here. No, and, and the Bond line's always good. I, quite like the sound of the thin blue line for those that like a tv series in the uk yeah it's not bad and i thought cooper might appeal to you as the mini fan oh i'm a massive mini fan i'm struggling with their website though every time i click on a different color it doesn't seem to refresh the image it doesn't me 
That's not just you. That's that's the way that it is, really. I mean, as you scroll down the sort of a product gallery to go through a little bit, it's not the greatest website in the world. If the orange wasn't sort of prominently displayed there, I think you'd struggle to find it. I think you need to click around some of their other straps for other watches to, to see what's going on. Anyway, I'm going to give you a quick review of this because it might change whether you buy one or not. It's a lovely colour. I quite like the buckle, the fastening mechanism. It's actually superior to the one that came on my Apple Watch. And I've got sort of the diver style strap. This is the one that came on my Apple Watch Ultra. It's squashy. It's got a really odd fastening mechanism on it. It's such a heavy watch compared to the normal Apple Watch that when I was trying to strap it on my wrist, it was actually falling off my wrist a lot of the time. So something like the Solo Loop or something like that is actually probably better for something like an Apple Watch. Anyway, this fits. It, the, the fastenings are correct for the Apple Watch. It just clicks into place. So there was no problem there. It's a very well-made strap. You know, I like the quality the materials that are that are on it it's a great color what i would say is i think it said what size do you want and i went for a medium strap length and i can show chris on the camera here but you can see the amount of leftover strap that actually comes with it if this is a medium strap the size of wrists you must need for a large one must be insane so i'm having it feed it through and then tuck it back on itself which doesn't look terrible but yeah but it's annoying when you've got a long tail it is. And worse than that, and this is the strap's biggest sin and probably means I won't wear it forever, you know, only on sometimes I'll wear it, is where it sits on my wrist when I'm typing, it's right where my hands are meant to go. So it's actually forcing my hand back and away from the keyboard a little bit. So it's all right to wear it. It does, you know, I've worn it to sleep. We've talked about tracking our sleep and all the rest of it. But I think day to day, it's not a perfect strap for me. Yeah, that's a shame. And I think that's probably why I go back to the Apple Port Bands because they're super convenient and even with i wear it to, i wore it to work today which I, I work in quite an informal place but i just love the sport bands they feel so good they don't get in the way when you type so yeah i, I would imagine that might annoy me a little bit yeah i think if it was off work for a week and i just you know wanted to wear it around it's perfectly fine for that it sits on my wrist quite well you know i've got no like i say i like the build of the thing it's nice i actually I'm not a particularly patriotic person, I must say, but the sort of retaining thing that they've got built into it, where you tuck the excess under, you can order them with the Union Jack flags on instead, which sort of fits into their whole military theme, which I quite like too. Yeah, that's kind of cool. It sounds very British, very, very military, as you say. So I think it looks good. And it's nice to see an alternative to Apple doing something in this space because there's so few quality watch straps made by non-Apple companies. Definitely. And, I, you know, I, I'm not throwing it away, but I suspect I will go back to the other one. And it's quite nice to mix these things up a bit, I think. As you said, it's nice to have a couple of watches to go on, a nice brighter one to go, you know, when you're out and about and all the rest of it, and maybe a sort of slightly more dressy one if you're trying to wear it with a suit or something. So, good. Cool. Okay, well, that's all we've got for follow-up. So let's get on to news then. So first up in news, I've put an article in here that I thought was just interesting. So somebody who bought an original iPhone, it was the 8 gigabyte model, so they bought it for $599. They've recently sold it for $55,000. And so roughly that is a phone that's appreciated in value by $3,400 per year for the last 16 years since the iPhone originally came out. What an investment that turned out to be. Like fair play. And it's, it's in shrink wrap. So you do wonder whether you open it and whether it will be dead on arrival. But uh, what a device they've purchased there. I'm quite impressed with this. This is some serious forward thinking. I, when I buy a device, I'm not thinking I'm going to keep this for three years or five years or ten years to, with a view selling it. I'm thinking I need to get it out of the box and I need to, you know, see what it's like right now. Certainly with this particular iPhone, I was so desperate to get my hands on this. I remember queuing outside the O2 shop to get one. Yeah, that's that's quite an investment to have made. Yeah, genius though, isn't it? Just to sit on it in a sealed box for, like I say, sixteen years 
and then sell it. And, you know, that's probably way better than putting that $599 in the bank and letting interest happen because obviously interest hasn't really happened until more recently. So I, I think it's interesting to see what it's gone for. And you know what? The person who's bought that, if they sit, sit on that for another 10 years, it will only appreciate in value if they don't open the box. That's the best thing you could do. Pop it in a safe and forget about it. What if you'd spent $599 on Apple shares, do you think, over the same period of time? That sounds like follow-up. I've As much as I'm into the stock market, I do not track it closely enough to comment on that one. But I would imagine, I don't know, 55 grand in 16 years. That's a lot, even with dividends. So I would imagine this is a better gamble. would be my gut, but I could be wrong. So you heard it here first. When the iPhone 15 comes out, you're just going to buy one and leave it in a box, right? The problem is now, the barrier to entry is twice as much as that, isn't it? It is. And I don't think it will any of the subsequent ones will have the same kudos as the original one. You know, an iPhone 3GS, which was the year later or 18 months later, it ain't going to be worth $55,000. The 3G was the next year and then the 3GS. No, but agreed. I think the first one had such a cachet. It was, you know, the first of its kind. It was a classic. And it's obviously in the original box. It's got the 12. If you look at the box, actually, it's just got the original 12 icons on it. And in the article, it says, the 13th iTunes icon came later that year because obviously when it first shipped, it didn't even have the iTunes store on it. So in- interesting how it's slowly evolved. And if you look down in the bottom of the dock, it's got the iPod icon on there because originally, obviously, it was called iPod. And I think it's even a videos up on there. No, the videos were contained within it. And if you remember, if you bought a an iPod Touch, you would then get a music app and a videos app. But for some reason, they grouped them both together on the iPhone. And it, it was a weird little nuance difference between the ipod touch and the and the original iphone which went over you know many years and then obviously it then became videos and music and then obviously videos then became tv app yeah i mean it is interesting you look at these old icons youtube is a sort of classic looking television like the one they showed in the matrix you know and youtube is now a separate thing controlled by google but this was an apple built app back in the day yeah what a brilliant icon love that icon so i remember having one of these and loved it like it was just such a fantastic everything all of it was fantastic and look at the the message icon it had sms in the logo obviously that went with the arrival of imessage interestingly the settings app still retained the original gear which and that's where it's all stemmed from was that first iphone yeah i have an iphone classic iphone original iphone downstairs in in my my version of your shed it has a cracked screen it has an original dock connector i'm not sure i've got any wires that would fit in a dock connector anymore no, I tell a lie because it comes with a, it was actually, they came, the original one came with a dock you could sit it in, sort of a charging dock, and that it sat in that charging dock downstairs. So I don't think it's worth 55 grand, unfortunately, with its cracked screen. No, quite possibly not. I'm interested in the pods and the iPhones when they first came out, all came with docks and you got a bit more for your money. And then obviously over time, the box has got a lot smaller and now you literally just get a cable. You don't even get a plug anymore, do you? No plug, no headphones. All you get is a USB, USB C to lightning cable these days, don't you? Without. Yeah, that is literally it. I wonder, I guess, hopefully next year in the box, we're going to get USB C to USB C cables, which will be nice. Hopefully. Here's hoping. It certainly seems to be that the rumors are going. I and mean, we've talked about the 15 before. I did see another story this week about if you want ultimate speed throughput, you're going to have to get a made for iPhone cable directly from Apple, which is a bit penny pinching, but we'll see. Agreed. Should we move on? I think we should move on. So this is a little story that just amused me, really, about the story of somebody in California going to get a Tesla, drive it away, and then discovering that he'd actually gotten somebody else's Tesla when the things weren't where he'd left them. So as a Tesla owner, I find this slightly freaky. Yeah, not good, eh? 
Not good at all. Mm, I don't know what to say on this one. Yeah, I think it's just worth highlighting these sort of security flaws. I mean, in many ways, I like the way the Tesla manages entry of passengers. So, you know, myself or another driver can rock out with, with authenticated phones, keys on our phones. You can just unlock it, you can get in it, and you can drive away. So how this happened when they're meant to be sort of keyed towards the, I presume it's the Bluetooth identifier, IMA identifier of your of your phone that it's keying off, or the NFC identifier of a, of a card when you do it that way. So... This seems like a real problem that if just because they happen to be sat next to each other, what happened there? Yeah, I find this really interesting. And I access my BMW through the Apple car key piece, which is just in your wallet app. That works through NFC, but apparently they're going to move it over to ultra wideband. So, like the U1 chip, in essence, in future iterations, I was reading about. But I, it made me wonder: is my is my car got the same problem? Because, like I said, I only use my watch, my phone on it. I don't, I don't think I've ever used my actual car keys that shipped with the car because I've got no need for it. It's one more thing in the pocket. So, it is interesting. And again, this is what's put me off getting a smart door lock for the house because just not sure the text there yet yeah i mean the register in the linked article say it quite well though it may be an isolated incident incident it raises more questions about the quality of tesla manufacturing an ongoing concern for regulators like the u.s national highway transport safety administration what's more frustrating is the gentleman involved tried to contact the company directly to explain the malfunction before going to press including to the washington post his message to tesla's press email bounced we've talked about tesla not having marketing before another tesla's china unit was blocked and then he tweeted elon musk and i saw this week if you tweet Elon, or certainly the PR at Twitter, you get a poo emoji back. So, which is really sort of mature of, of the guy and so it shows how classy he is. But this is a real problem. Like you say, the security things that can come along with this. In the article, he says there was somebody else's medical documents in the car. How good is it? It's really not good. You could end up with somebody else's children in the car, which links us back to last week's VW story. Yeah, so I, I think this is a bad look. It makes me slightly nervous about the car that's sat outside, that somebody else who has the Tesla key app on their phone can come up, rock off, and drive away with my car. And I can track where they go, but that's not the point. I wonder if Apple's implementation is more secure. I don't know. Obviously, bit Tesla don't support Apple's car key. And actually, I don't believe many companies do support the car key technology although i wish they would but like with the wallet app i think it's taken a while to gain any traction yeah i mean i have high hopes for the next version of carplay i did see a little article this week about when they were demonstrating the next version of carplay which will include things like speedometers and rev counters and things like that potentially as long as the manufacturer supports it on sort of the video displays which i believe your bmw has as well you know in front of the driver's display and in the middle of the car i do have that but BMW weren't in the list of icons. So whilst BMW have been a great supporter of CarPlay, because it work, in my car, CarPlay works on the main centre screen, and it also does the maps on the screen in front of the driver, and all the buttons work, and they support Apple CarKey. For some reason, BMW in their next version of the iDrive are going to go to Android, and they've, they've said they are not going to support this version of CarPlay. But I am hoping that Apple refresh current CarPlay because I think the interface looks a bit dated. You know, the world's moved on, and it would be nice if they did a bit more. Just if I get no more functionality, but just a, a new skin, I think would be nice because it's been this way for a long time. I think based on the layout of the screens they showed, Ford will be getting this. I think the Mustang Mach-E based on the way that the screen was looking to me and the virtual dials in front of the driver. I suspect that you know, Ford will be one of the first companies to support this. Yeah, and that makes sense. And they floundered in the entertainment space for a while. So, you know, they've got to have some flagship partners, haven't they? And so I think you're probably right. Ford is going to be there. 
Yep. Moving on, a story I really, well, I wouldn't say I enjoyed this week, but sort of surprised me slightly this week, is about Matter. And we've talked about Matter on this podcast quite a lot. We had very high hopes for it, both of us. You eagerly installed a version onto your home environment, which I believe messed up you being able to add various bits and pieces to your own environment. And this is a story about Belkin, who make a product called Wemo, pausing the implementation of Matter in their smart home devices. What did you think of this story? I was a bit sad. So... Let's just backtrack a minute. Matter is what's replacing HomeKit and Alexa and Google Home, and it's becoming a standard that all the companies will use instead of having their own home standard. Yes, I installed and upgraded my home architecture with Apple system, and it it broke a few things. Apple has since fixed that in iOS 16.4, which I believe is coming out next week as the release candidate ship tonight as we record. What's worrying about this article, though, is Balking, big accessories manufacturer, Wemo is their home brand for home automation and light switches and so on and so forth. If they don't believe in matter, that's not good, is it? I mean, they've got a whole division dedicated to the home and they're not do- doing the new matter standard. And we've seen so little from matter since it was released. Kind of like we were saying, like Apple need a flagship for CarPlay. We need a flagship manufacturer for matter, really, because... The promise just isn't there. Now, whether that will change over the coming year, I don't know. But I have not bought any new home kit accessories or sorry, home accessories until I see more of what matter looks like, because there's no point me updating anything in the house until matters there. I think unless matter gets abandoned and we roll back to home kit, but I would imagine that they're waiting for people like Apple to get the implementation right and Google and so on and actually move it forwards before we backtrack. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. This seems odd to have all, had all the manufacturers and all the software companies like Apple and Google and Amazon and everybody else sort of subscribe to this matter standard and push it forward as an industry. Then to take the step back after the big launch, which happened in Chris, just before Christmas, wasn't it? it? It really seems odd to me that such a significant manufacturer of equipment like this is doing this. I guess though, it wasn't that big a launch. In the end, it was quite anticlimactic, wasn't it? It was meant, it felt like it was going to be bigger than what it was, but it kind of happened and nobody shouted that much about it. I mean, definitely if you weren't in the tech space, you wouldn't have heard about it. So I think it hasn't gone as smooth as they'd liked. There obviously are some kinks. Apple's obviously worked on it for the new version of the Home app that's going to ship with 16.4 later this year. Well, hopefully next week. And then I wonder then when... The, then the others will start picking up. I think as we get a few more OSs out there and we get some stability, I'm hoping that it picks up. But it it is interesting because Wemo announced that it would be doing lots of thread-compatible stuff last year at CES, and now is backtracked from that and said, we're just going to wait and see, basically. Well, maybe it's as simple as they are waiting for the software manufacturers. Apple released it, rolled it back. I don't know where Amazon and Google stand. I have no idea. So it could be that they are just waiting for that critical mass for it to be built into other things. I know we did talk about Nest thermostats and things like that, and Google saying they weren't explicitly going to support it on existing models, but were, would would support it on, on the next ones to come. So maybe it is still waiting for that software integration piece to come forward. I think it's got a longer lead time than anybody realized, and it needs needs to bedding. I yeah. think that's the problem. Yeah, that's probably the most likely thing. I mean, if you think about this, how long it took for Bluetooth to receive any sort of acceptance in the wider world. And even now, if you buy a set of headphones that aren't Apple headphones that we know you know, meet the various standards that Apple have with their chips in it, I don't know the difference between APTX and expanded audio standards and all the various technologies that come along with Bluetooth. You just think it's Bluetooth 4 or Bluetooth 5, and even that might be a step too far for most people. They buy a set of headphones, they expect it to work. 
Yeah, agreed. Yeah, no, nobody knows these details, do they? So um, I think it's sad, but I think I'm still hopeful deep down. Well, I'll be hopeful with you because I think the ultimate goal of this is you can buy any piece of home integration technology and it will work with whatever voice assistant you've got, whatever home kit setup you've got. HomeKit in the loosest sense, not the Apple product, I think is a very good thing. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So let's let's keep an eye on it and hopefully we can report back six months from now and go, yeah, right, we've bought some home plugs and they matter and they work and they're fantastic. Yeah, I agree. So moving on, next story. And this was a an article I found on Mastodon that links to a Mac Stories article from Jason Snell, who we reference in this podcast from time to time. He has his own excellent podca- podcast called Upgrade. And this was just a bit of writing he had in Macworld about the iPad and the Mac being on a collision course and how fundamentally disappointing the iPad line is really when you think of how the Mac is moving forward in terms of certainly hardware and how the iPad seems to be just being stifled. I thought this was a particularly interesting story for you and I thought what's your opinion on this? Yeah I agree and they actually commented on this quite heavily on the Upgrade podcast this week which I listen to most weeks. So look Jason's quite an interesting guy so he was editor at Macworld and Mac user for I don't know, a number of years and in a, in the end was their senior vice president and editor-in-chief. So he's obviously been a Mac person for a long time. But quite a while ago, he actually started using an iPad for a lot of his work, for his writing, to, you know, to, to supplement his Mac. From time to time, he'd use it in his kitchen, around his house, he'd take it on journeys with him, but still massively in the Mac ecosystem and using his Mac to record and edit podcasts. And I think what he was saying was, you know, back in the in the early 2010s, you know, say 2012, it looked like they were going to just, inv- Apple was just going to invest in the iPad and actually they could become the successor to the Mac in essence. But for whatever reason, they never iterated on it enough. They took their eye off the Mac ball, the hardware slip, Mac OS didn't really do much for many years. It just was in more of a... Um, Maintenance maintenance mode, mode, I guess, is is the right word. And then for whatever reason, they've completely done a 180. The Mac is now steaming along both hardware and software in the right way. And the iPad just hasn't ever really moved forwards. Now, the iPad has changed massively in the last 10 years in that you've got cursor support, full keyboard support. uh, It now supports external screens. It still doesn't support a new tranche of apps that it didn't support when it came out. You know, the first version of the iPad, you could use it as a text editor, you could edit photos, you could read articles. You can still do all that now on your iPad, but you can't do much more. You've got different inputs into it. And I think this article is largely going around because there's obviously talk of making the Mac a touchscreen. And therefore, are you then going to have a problem where what is the difference between a Mac and an iPad? And then there's in turn talk of the iPad and the next Pro versions becoming even more expensive. It's like, well, what's going to be the differentiating reason to have an iPad over a Mac? And you can't just tell me it's going to be cellular connectivity because that's one of the standout reasons to get an iPad right now. But it's got pencil support today. It's got, obviously, it's got the mini LED screen, which came to the MacBooks recently. And it runs apps more so than what your Mac does. Obviously, there's a lot more apps available on your iPad than your Mac, but they've now made the Mac support iPad apps. So if we fast forward a few years, what are going to be the defining factors of whether you go down the iPad route or the Mac route, or you use both, like I do, for example, and like well, you do a little bit, but probably less so than me. You're more in the Mac camp, and I'm more in the iPad camp. If my work supported Macs, would I go more Mac? I probably would, to be honest with you. But I use the iPad a lot, and I do really enjoy it because I can literally open the lid wherever I am and just start working, and that works for me. The cellular connectivity works. But if they brought the cellular connectivity to the Mac, would my iPad be as useful for me? And I think lots of people like me could say that. And if they made it a touchscreen, 
well, would I have an iPad as well? Especially if they're going to cost two grand. So you can see it happening. But equally, I don't doubt that Apple may have a solution to, to keep that that difference because they need to keep both lineups going or they're going to have a massive ding in their revenue. Sure. Possibly. I mean, the iPad makes up the portion of the revenue that it does. And it's it's equal to the Mac. I think last time we looked at this, it was in a similar sort of category to the Mac. And they release a new iPad and they get a bump. And, you know, we see that in their earnings every quarter when we report on it. It's a, it's, it was an interesting device. I think it's failed to, to, fill, to fulfill its promise in a way. It's very good at a limited number of things, but isn't a computer. And as soon as you sort of hit the hit the walls of that, you fail quite hard, I think. That you know, all right, I need a I don't know, pick an example. In my in my world when I'm trying to do data analysis, I can't do that on an iPad. Unless I remote into another machine remote desktop and do it from there, I can't do it. I can't install some Python library or an R script or something to my iPad and run it and actually use it, despite the power that's in my iPad Pro. So yeah, I'd naturally tend towards the computer, which is more extensible and I can do things on. I've said before I find it frustrating that it's the same processor that's inside of my Mac, my iPad that's effectively in this MacBook Pro that I've got here next to me. So I know it's more than capable of doing it. I know it can drive multiple displays. I know it can do X, Y, and Z that I wanted to. I see the amazing games it's capable of rendering. I see how smoothly it scrolls things. You know, th- there's a lot to like about it. And I agree with you, that instant on, and let's face it, Macs are instant on these days as well, pretty much is compelling. It sees your face and you're off, and you're off to the races. You're working really handy in a train. You're just looking out the window. This idea is occurring to you. You can sort of bash some things into it. Great. But actually, I could leave my Mac open, look out the window, come back, and it's still it's still on and I can type at that point anyway. So the cellular thing is important. I find it frustrating. I don't think it's moved as much as I want to. And I was thinking back to my first iPad, which would have been, what, 2012? Thereabouts? 2011, maybe? 2011 was when it debuted, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So iPad 1, I can't remember what iPad you had. I had an iPad 1. I, I think I got it the day they came, they, they, were, they were posted out because I had it, had it shipped to me. I didn't collect it. And I was blown away. I remember playing Plants vs. Zombies, which, which there was an app store at that point. Uh, this is fantastic. It's such a nice screen. I'm having a great time. I'm sat in the car. I'm playing Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, I've, I've played it too long. I feel a bit sick. You know, I wasn't driving at the time. I was a passenger, obviously. And the potential for that was great, but it still does that really, doesn't it? You know, it still does an email client. You can run a bit of basic text editing. You can edit a document. But as soon as you get into, and I appreciate you do your job on it, but you've said yourself, your job is largely PowerPoint presentations, Teams meetings, answering email, and stuff like that. That's a certain amount of productivity, but it's not really. And you know, If you were down in the weeds of Xcode, your, your iPad's not going to do that for you. If I was down in the weeds of, like I said, a Python program or something, it's not going to do it for me. And you hit those bumps really quickly for a pro user. I think for a semi-pro home user, it's good enough. But a second you go off the rails a little bit, it's not that. And it's a damn shame because it could be so much more. And this is what they were talking about on Upgrade was maybe it was a misstep to make a pro iPad. They should maybe had a studio iPad or something less than a pro, but more than a regular one, which is what they've ended up doing because the pro one doesn't do pro apps now i love my ipad i use it i don't know eight nine hours a day every every working day and i use it today all day it's fantastic and it has come a long way but considering apple already had a lot of the tech in the mac it's taken them far too long to iterate on the ipad i think you know we're what 12 years in and we finally got picture and picture in teams and we finally got external monitor support this was all stuff they had on the mac but needed support to the ipad i think it's just taken too long for whatever reason to realize that journey but it is interesting that the product lines are converging and what's going to keep them different because do they hold off touch screens on the mac to keep that 
on the iPad only with the, with the pencil, for example? Or do they actually let them converge and let people just, just pick which device suits them? I, d- I don't know. Mm. It's interesting. I think as with Matter, we just need to keep an eye on this and see how it goes. I don't know how much a touchscreen Mac sort of impacts on this market. Those people that wanted a touchscreen Mac probably have an iPad as well. Maybe it gives you a bit more convergence. I'm less likely to stick my iPad in a bag than I ever was, frankly, despite the fact it's the best iPad I've ever had. Because I can yeah, do that's some, true. You've, you know? you've got an iPad Pro like I have. You've got the best iPad they make, in essence. I'm more likely to take my iPad with me because I, I can do everything on it. I've bought my Mac so I can do more hobbies for me, such as a bit of coding, playing with some VMs, maybe playing some games, podcasting with you. So for me, I will always take my iPad first until my Mac can do the same as my iPad, I guess. That's fair enough. And, uh, you know, that was almost the basis for this podcast is the difference between, you know, how we use our devices. And I think that's healthy that we both have these sort of different interests in the Apple ecosystem. And it does show, you know, the sort of variety of use cases that you can have from these devices. If you were crazy, you could probably do all these things with your phone, frankly. But, you know, (laughs) there's a lot there to be said. It's in final point for you on that in that I probably do do more on my phone because I'm so used to using my iPad for everything. And it's obviously the same OS therefore actually i do end up using my phone more to do things that before i wouldn't have even tried to open an excel document or edit something in word but now i do it because i'm quite quick at it because i know where all the buttons are and it's whilst a smaller screen and some things will be in a different place i know i understand that paradigm and how to do do what i need and you know attach a file or pop in my dropbox and therefore yeah i would do do more it's made me more productive on my phone fair enough Okay, I think we can move on to our next story, which is probably not a surprise. We've talked about the the battles of social media quite a lot in this podcast. I think it was back in December, there was a US government ban of TikTok on governmental phones. And this week it's come to the UK as well, with TikTok being banned on UK government phones. So this follows the sale of ByteDance within America. So there must have been some shares of ByteDance within America. Almost as soon as this happened, UK government phones were told that they need to get TikTok off those devices. It's quite interesting. There's at least two government ministers who have TikTok accounts and post there. So I don't know what happened with that, but I just think this is sort of interesting. The governmental position on, on what TikTok is and what data has access to is growing all the time. Yeah, it's interesting, and we actually discussed this in my workplace this week. Of should we should we ban it internally for our business? Um, but I think with the government ministers, though, this comes down to surely they can be on TikTok, but they should be doing that on their personal phones, not on their work phones, for example. And this is the problem you have these days: people blur very much blur the lines between work and home life, and actually try and do both on both their devices. I see this quite often in our workplace where people have a corporate device and a personal device they end up just mixing their lives onto both because they don't have that hard separation. I'm not that surprised by this. There's been a lot of noise about this. I don't know quite what TikTok picks up and how much can the web pick up over the app? Because they were saying that when you install the app, it can pick up a lot of data about you. But obviously it's still sandbox. Well, so on iOS, it can't go and attack other apps or, or you know install a virus on your phone. Yeah, one of the things I'm concerned about is, and it says in the linked article in The Guardian, is that the app allows such permissions and gives the company access to a range of data, including contacts, user content, and geolocation data. So for a government minister or a very high-ranking civil servant, that's potentially very damaging. 
Yeah, that is not good, is it, actually, if you think about it, if access to all your contacts. I'm guessing that's in a read-only manner. And obviously, Apple have done things like with photos. You know, if you give something access to photos, you can pick, allow all photos or some. And I'm guessing it's got access to those too, because you'll want to upload a photo to TikTok, I'm sure. So, yeah, I am probably coming more around to your way of thinking, whilst it can't install malware or a virus you know, it can suck all your data out and actually start profiling, like you say, government ministers and X number of tens of thousands of people in the UK or even a million people in the UK. Who knows how many people have got this installed? Absolutely. But with my other hat on, and I mean, we can talk about the sort of the corporate and social blurring, which I think it is worth revisiting. How is this any different from Facebook or WhatsApp? It's owned by a Chinese company. It's owned by a Chinese company, not an American one. And and that's the only difference. So you've got a Bad actor, for want of a better thing. Good actor, unknown actor, whatever, whatever. However, the UK government and the American government view China, and then you've got a, you know, a known quantity in terms of Facebook or WhatsApp or who, pick your social networking app of choice. I mean, we talked before about how refreshing it was to install Mastodon and not immediately partial your contacts. That stands out rather than, you know, the fact is that this is a Chinese company potentially having access to those data. And I'm sure TikTok in their defense will say, we don't do this, we don't do that, and they will have those protests in place. But it, it's, it depends who's asking the question as to what's allowed or not. I, I'm with you. I don't think Facebook should be installed on governmental phones either. Agreed. Didn't Facebook used to do a lot of this, though? And because Facebook used to be an awful battery hog and it was doing lots of horrible things, but yet it's deemed okay because it's an American company. Yeah, and it's not okay. You know, I I've stopped using Facebook and all of its apps for this precise reason. And let's let's just circle back around then to what you said before about the blurring between your home life and your work life. There are situations that you could see why MPs, because they want to be in touch with the public, and marketing people, for example, at your organization, are going to want to access these kinds of things to get in touch with people of a certain demographic that may not be within, you know, your typical demographic from your company. So I do understand why you might want these on your work device in order to sort of make the videos or send them out or respond to feedback or whatever the things are. My my thought should be that should be a dedicated device that only does that rather than it being your sort of day-to-day one that you you also have the CEO's email on. Yeah, or you don't give access to your contacts because you're not going to be adding your contacts in and all of that. And you, you're a lot more selective about what it's what data it's got access to, I think. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on this. And I'm probably the worst person to blur his or her home life because I have one device for work and home. And it, you know, I've got two. I've got an iPad and a phone. And they both got my work life on it and my home life on it. But my work life's relatively siloed in Microsoft land. And my home life is relatively siloed in Apple land, but they coexist on the same device. So I wonder whether whether companies like Apple need to get better at sandboxing and you know and drawing people's attention to what you have allowed an app access to so that this can happen. Because you have got legitimate cases where people do need to post on Facebook, but they don't want all their data being leached. And I think Apple have got a lot better at this because obviously you can go into every app in settings and check when it's got access to your local network, your contacts, location. But how often do people go back and check that? I don't think they do very often. And again, I quite like that Apple now shows you if the microphone is active or the camera is active by having the dot, both of them. You know, as we're talking here, I can see a little green spot in the top right-hand corner on my Mac, which is the same as the behavior on your phone or your iPad, actually, to know that the camera is active or a camera is active even in these days where it's actually coming through my phone and not something bolted to the top of my screen. So... It is interesting. I think it's worth watching. I wonder what the reaction will be from China as this sort of pervasively spreads. But 
in some ways the damage is done. If people have been using them up to this point, these contacts have been shared. This geolocation has been shared. Grant Shapps or whoever has been using, you know, who's a UK government minister if you don't know, he, he has shared his contact directory of all the MPs that he's friendly with in the Tory party. Whatever, you know, civil servants that he has to be in touch with to do his day-to-day -day life or whoever's on there potentially thoughtlessly sharing this information and will have been doing for many, many years potentially at this point. So it, it's it's a bit, you know, this closing the stable door after the horse is bolted, isn't it? Yeah, I'd love to know what cybersecurity training ministers get because I doubt it's very much. I mean, we do an awareness course for the whole company, but it's very basic and high level. Whereas you're, you're right, something like this needs to be told, look, you don't share anything, you don't do this. Did, you know, there's a lot they can trip themselves up with. So, yeah. Yes, interesting one, but I think everybody needs, everybody, including your children, my children who are just about to start getting an iPhone, getting on the internet, need to be in, it, trained from a young age because they just don't know what they're getting into. Yeah, it's a minefield out there, folks. Listen to nice, safe podcasts like ours to uh, to keep your information at a higher level and be careful of TikTok and Facebook. And just get your set your paranoia level a little bit higher than it might be as default, I think. Yeah, maybe you and I are too paranoid on it and not big social media advocates, I guess. Having said that, there's no way my children would uninstall TikTok. I, yeah, I don't know. I've not been through this yet, so I'm going to have all this to come. And it's probably like getting my wife off Facebook. It'll be nigh on impossible because it's so ingrained in into the things she checks in on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I was at a show last night. I ran into another parent who happens to know my daughter. Their, our daughters played hockey together. And she said, oh, you don't need to tell me who, who your daughter's getting on. I follow her on Instagram. I know how her university life has been. And I'm thinking, she probably knows more than I do because I don't use Instagram. Yeah, they're probably more up, up, up to date with, you, with the children you are. And I have seen that with friends of ours. They go, oh, I saw you did this at the weekend. I'm like, how did you know I did that at the weekend? They're like, oh, your, your wife shared it on Facebook or whatever. It was like, I did not even thought about that because I'm not on Facebook. It's a, it's a whole different world. And I, I got to say, I, I feel less nervous, worry, stressed than, than anything about having, oh, I've got to put this in, I've got to show the lifestyle off to this particular thing or whatever it is that's or the social media pressures that drive people to influence or share or, let's face it, it's boastful in a way, <laughs> you know, here's the meal, well, I, you know. Yeah, you're, you're only, generally, you're only seeing the good bits of somebody's lifestyle on Instagram, Facebook, you're seeing a little bit of, maybe a little bit of both sides, but we've all got ups and downs and, you know, kids having strops or whatever to deal with or bills we can't pay, you know, but People don't always see both sides of the story. Yeah, and on that note, I think we should move on to the next story. Agreed. So I like this. This is a story from Ars Technica about a, a data center heating the a pool in the in the area, saving. It's an American article, but so they say they say saving twenty four thousand dollars a year, twenty thousand pounds a year, because it's actually in the UK. I think there's terrific use of the heat that comes out of a data center or something like that, where it costs a lot of money to ha to heat a pool. I, I I was involved in one of these when I when as sort of the governing body of a school my my children went to, so I know how much the costs can be for a school to keep it heated. You need to keep them on all the year round because they get used for clubs after school and all the rest of it. You can't turn the heating off. It costs a fortune to heat it back up again if it goes off, etc., etc. I just think this is a terrific use of all the heat that is generated by a data centre. Yeah, you don't necessarily want water in a data centre to mix, but it does make a lot of sense, doesn't it? The data centre generates heat. Pools need to be kept warm. Ergo, why don't we put the two together? Genius. This should happen more. Yep. From the article, the computers are submerged in a mineral oil that captures heat that gets transferred into pool water with a heat exchanger. The pool still has a gas boiler to boost the water's temperature if required, but claims it's about 96% of the energy used is from the data center. It's terrific. Uh, yeah, ge genius idea. Whoever thought of this, whilst 
in hindsight, it seems quite obvious. Brilliant idea. I mean, 20 grand isn't a huge amount of money when you think of how much electricity it costs to heat a data center, et cetera, et cetera. But any of these efficiencies, if this was to be rolled out at scale to other things in the same sort of neck of the world, the, the savings would be huge. I completely agree. It, like I say, once you start thinking about it, it's like, that is brilliant. And it could be the same in office buildings or anywhere where you need to generate heat. How can you reuse what's already generating heat? Brilliant. Yeah, terrific. So I thought it was a good news story and worth talking about. It is a good news story, which brings us into the next story, which is not a good news story. So quite a bad segue this week. but And it feels a bit like Groundhog Day, but Amazon are going to lay off 9,000 staff and it looks like Meta are going to lay off 10,000 staff. And you might be thinking, didn't we talk about this a few weeks ago? And we did. And so it looks like they did one round of restructuring, which was circa similar numbers, 10,000 each. And now they're doing it again. So that's 40,000 people from two companies that laid off. It's just a, a sheer number of people I can't quite get my head around. Yeah, it's a real shame for these people who, and I have read a couple of things about some of them were just literally sitting around twiddling their thumbs. That thing we'd been talking about before where they were employed just for their, to stop other companies employing them as much as anything else. When times are good, obviously the tech giants were just going crazy. But Amazon has a headcount of 1.6, had a headcount of 1.6 million employees at the end of 2021. That is a huge company. Yeah, I could, again, I could, you can't even picture it, can you? But obviously that's worldwide. And that's going to involve everything from head office to picking staff. I guess they employ some drivers and delivery people and they've got some shops now, haven't they? I've seen. So I guess that is a, you know, this could be a broad spectrum of skills in there. But the sheer volumes they're talking of cutting is insane to me. And equally at, at Meta, whilst they're cutting 10,000, they've also got 5,000 vacancies that they're not going to fulfill. It's, it's just an eye-watering number. Like, well, what are they doing? Yeah, these are crazy numbers, but it, it it feels very like it's the Web 2.0 bubble bursting, and the same that the original Web bubble burst, and we, you know there was mass tech layoffs, and then the next evolution of that were companies like Amazon and others that sort of sprung out of that with the knowledge that had been learned in that sort of first sort of cataclysmic event for tech. So hopefully, in the longer term, these are highly skilled people who will go on to develop interesting companies and, and, and innovate. And that's what you want to see for Web 3.0, 4.0, you know, whatever comes along in terms of engineering and technology. So it might turn into a good news story. Yeah, I hope so. But it's just a, the sheer volume of people that are going to oh, probably be in close proximity to each other as they're probably going to work in similar centers. It's just huge, isn't it? And conversely, Apple aren't let, letting off, letting loads of people go, but they are doing some some cost-saving initiatives such as prioritizing R&D and, you know, having a job hire freeze, and but they're not actually letting anybody go. So it's quite interesting seeing how they're, they're coping. But you'd hope Apple, with their billions and billions of pounds, can actually weather the storm and hopefully not need to let anybody go. It's not like Amazon or Microsoft or others are, are particularly cash poor either, is it? Let's face it. But I agree with you. So far, the, the news has been better for Apple staff. I think they had less staff to begin with frankly, and they do tend to be quite good at only employing what they need, which probably leads us to why iterations on some of the operating systems and updates and things like that are a little slower than some of us would like to see. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. They're the richest company in the world for a reason. Yeah, they are sometimes slow to iterate, but it's widely reported that they run leaner teams. So sometimes that is good, I guess. The sheer volume these companies looking at current, I just still can't get my head around it. It's just... Yeah, yeah. mind-boggling to me. But interesting how they've done 10,000 and then another 10,000 quickly afterwards. So 
how did they allow all this growth to happen and not control it? Because that, that is the thing. And you see in lots of companies, you know, when they're doing really well, you, they get a little careless and you're not keeping an eye on the bottom line. Whereas it feels like Apple, they're constantly looking at the bottom line and, and trying to keep it in check. Whereas it doesn't feel like these other companies have, have done the same thing. Yeah, I'm with you. It's But it's it's interesting. And hopefully we won't be reporting another 10,000, 20,000 next week for some other company because it's not good for the tech sector, ultimately. It doesn't look good in any of these companies. And it's got to create a lot of bitterness, a lot of demand for jobs in those areas. You know, we've talked before about them forcing manufacturing, like Dell forcing manufacturing to, I think it was Texas we talked about before, and then having to cut employees there. I think if you've upended your life and moved from wherever you are to go and be part of that, and then they cut you, that's harsh. I agree. That is harsh, isn't it? Yeah, particularly with some of the laws in some of these states as well. Anyway, I, I, I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't expound on that. Anything else in this story? No, I don't think so. Should we move on to media? Move on to media. First one's with me, I think, and this I just thought was an interesting little thing. Did you tell me you watched the ba- the Banshees of Inisherin? You did, didn't you? Yeah, we've both seen it. I think. We've both seen it. We both enjoyed it. Well, it was it's an interesting film. It's an interesting film. Anyway, I just thought this was fun. It's a little Pac-Man style game based on the Banshees of Inisherin. Can I give spoilers? No, I won't talk about that. Where you play one of the characters being chased by the other character and you've got to pick up a particularly gruesome item that... Uh, happens during the film which is sort of his one of them's threat to the other one as you go around i just thought it was really well done you know it was not it came around around oscar season i think banshees was up for a number of oscars i don't think it won any actually despite being heavily nominated and this i just thought was quite fun i mean it's quite a gruesome subject matter but it's recognizably the characters from the film i quite like the art style it's very pac-man it's very playable it didn't entertain me for much more than about 10 minutes but i just thought it was fun yeah you can see that it's got a, def- a definite style around it. Obviously, probably back back to a, a much younger childhood for both of us of, of these kind of games. But no, it looks quite good. Actually, I might, might give this a go. I did enjoy the film, so it's nice to have a tie-in, I guess. It is, and I know it's a game and not media, but the film is media, so uh, I think we've got we're going to blur those lines a bit, and I'm going to blur them more with my next thing. I have started watching The Last of Us which is a TV TV show from HBO. I always slightly struggle with HBO shows because when it starts and you get that static logo as they, as they fire up, I think it's going to start playing the Game of Thrones music. I'm so sort of entrenched in that now. I'm always thinking the Sopranos music's about to kick in. Or The Wire back in the day, you know, that would immediately fade to that. But unfortunately, from this point on, it will always be Game of Thrones because I think it's a particularly good soundtrack. Anyway, I have watched the first two episodes of The Last of Us. I am very impressed so far. It's got to be the most successful conversion of a computer game into into a non-computer game, i.e. TV show or film that I've ever seen. Okay, so I'm partway through playing The Last of Us. I haven't picked up for a few weeks on my PlayStation. It's whatever the remaster for the PS5 is, which is fantastic. So I'm super interested in watching the TV series, but I think I want to play the game through first. What would you recommend? Or does it not matter? I don't know that it matters in, in one way. I don't know the game well enough. I think I played, you know, I must have played it for two or three hours and then thought, right, I'll come back to that. And for some reason, never did. Despite the fact it's an excellent game. I love Naughty Dog. We've talked about that before with the Uncharted games and all the rest of it. But I don't think it's necessary. There was a couple of nice crossovers in this for me between Game of Thrones, actually. So The Last of Us stars Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal was in, I think, one season of Game of Thrones and is now more famous for being the Mandalorian. If you watch Star Wars, he's, he's Jin Jaren under the helmet. My son and I are on episode just finished episode three of the mandalorian he loves it it's terrific it's a great show he's nine years old thinks it's fantastic and i must confess we just watched episode three and we were both gripped and very quiet watching it and we we're like 
and and there was me being Dagon. We gotta go to bed in a minute. It's like, can we just watch the end? And I was like, I really want to see the end as well. And I wanted to watch it with him because it's nice to have a shared experience. But Mandalorian, fantastic. So I didn't realise Pedro Pascal was the Mandalorian. So now I'm super interested. Now I'm watching this. Maybe I will make make a start on the last for swell. What what do you watch on? My TV. No, but is it a Netflix thing? Is it a Disney thing? What service is it on? Yeah, I just like how you're thinking here. That's quite interesting because you're like me. I'm like, I can't remember. I just got on the Apple TV and press play. I, I just watch the thing. I'll, I'll cover that another time as to how I watch okay. it, I think. But yeah, it's it's really good. It's high quality. And here's another little factoid that particularly appealed to me, but the screenwriter and sort of showrunner for it is Craig Mazin, which might be, not be a name you recognize immediately. But Craig Mazin is also the guy that did the Chernobyl TV show. I love that show. Which is one of the best shows I've ever watched, I think, actually. Six episodes, self-contained, fantastic. From beginning to end, not a dull point in that show. Amazing cast of actors, great script writing, terrific. So this is all manner of great things coming together for me. That, you know, you've got HBO, which tend to make good quality TV. You've got some amazing actors in Pedro Haskell and Bella Ramsey and Anna Torv, who, if you've watched Fringe back in the day, was in Fringe. Really well done. Craig Mazin sort of underpinning all this, terrific. So I'm sold on The Last of Us. Fair enough. You've sold it to me. I think that's going to go up the list. Fair enough. Next one's yours. Next one's mine. So Ted Lasso, Series 3, has gone live last Wednesday. I was away when it came out, but I had woke, I woke up early in the morning and watched the first episode before work. Fantastic. Loved it. Just carried on where it left off. Really enjoyed it. A couple of minor criticisms probably on, on some of it, but on the whole, fantastic. Loved it. Super enjoyed it. And gutted i could only watch episode one and they're releasing it weekly which i do quite like the weekly thing because it does stretch it out so i would have binged it all by now but would have liked maybe one or two just to whet the appetite a little bit but um, i've watched the first episode twice yeah so you know it's out i'm not going to watch it yet i'm going to build up a couple of them so i can sort of binge them one two three or something like that i think from what i've heard that it's a typical ted lasso you've got to settle back into it a little bit with the first episode and then it'll hopefully pick up again people have had the screeners have said that jason snell again actually is somebody i've heard talking about that so yeah i'm going to give it a couple and then i will catch up but i just love that it continued in the same vein so i'm hoping they've they've kept the magic of the last few going for me good stuff Um, and then i've then gone on and watched welcome to Wrexham, which is on disney plus and it's about ryan reynolds and Rob, I can't pronounce his last name. McElhinney. That sounds good to me. Basically becoming co-chairman of Wrexham Football Club. So they're two American actors, one in New York, one in Los Angeles. And they're buying Wrexham Football Club in Wales in the United Kingdom. Do you know what? Seriously entertaining, right up my street. Thought my son might be a little bit into it because it's football. He's not keen. But also there's a little bit of fruity language in it, which annoys me. I do wish there was more beeped versions so I could share some entertainment with my kids. Have you seen it at all? I haven't. I keep giving it the side eye. It, I like Ryan Reynolds. I think he's a funny guy. I love him as Deadpool particularly. I like the way he sends himself up. I have a lot of time for Rob McElhinney because I like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I like Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet, which I don't know if you've watched on Apple TV+, Plus, but he's terrific in that and he's the showrunner of that. So very talented guy, but it's got football. I don't really like football. So I'm not a big football fan. You live in Wales. You like the two guys that end up owning the company. I'd barely have seen anything those two people have been in, but it is superb. It's right on my street and I might have binged a bit of it, but I could only recommend it. I think it's fantastic. So it gets a big would recommend from me. 
Fair enough. I will. I will keep it in mind, and I will. It's all. It's definitely on my to watch list because, like I say, I like those guys. And obviously, living in Wales, you hear a fair bit about them. In fact, just after they bought the club, I happened to be driving through Wrexham, and they'd put up a Wrexham sign in the style of Hollywood, just as if we're getting into Wrexham. And I thought that that amused me no end. Yeah, I, I've seen that actually on the show. They've got it as you know some of the filler clips. I just think the show is so well done. It's genuinely entertaining, and you kind of want the underdog to succeed. I quite like it. So and. For somebody that doesn't know anything about Rob or Ryan, they've come across really well in, in the show to me. How much of it they're putting on and how much of it is them, I don't know. But the way it's come over, fantastic. We'd definitely recommend. Fair enough. I've got two recommendations of things I want to watch, I think, that I want to add to the show notes. One of which is on an Apple TV Plus film, which is called It's the Tetris Movie, which I was really worried. And I can't remember, did we mention it before on this? I think we did, didn't we? Yeah, yeah we did. I saw the trailer for it because it's got Taron Egerton in it. Yeah who was in a TV series that I had watched. I can't remember the, the, name the prison one, yeah. Oh, yeah, the prison yeah. one, you're right, on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah. It looks fantastic. The, the trailer looks terrific, it really does. There's some great 80s music in there. I was a big Tetris fan back in the day. I think this has come about because I saw the trailer since we last talked about it. I'll put the trailer, link to the trailer in the show notes. looks terrific, and I'm going to watch it. I think it's out at the end of the month. Yeah, I think it's the end of the month. There's some good TV coming up there, and there's Tetris coming up, which just oh, it looks fantastic film. It does. And then the second one is the Blackberry movie. So the other thing that makes this topical, considering what we were just talking about, is that one of the co-stars of Ryan of Rob McElhaney is actually in this, which is Glenn Howardson, who plays one of the characters in It's All Sunny in Philadelphia. He's a very funny man, I must say. He acts extremely well. He looks transformed in the trailer for this compared to his character. A, a very nasty piece of work in It's All Sunny in Philadelphia. I'm not, I'm not condoning any of his actions. But it's a well-written show, It's Always Sunny, and the trailer for this looks terrific. And coming from the industry we've, we spend all of our time talking about with mobile phones and things, Blackberry was a big part of that back in the day. I had a couple of Blackberries. It just looks like a good film. Uh, I never owned a Blackberry, but this film looks amazing. And so I'm with you. I think it looks so good. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to both. It's, it's quite a good month, actually. I think we've got some great stuff coming. There is some great stuff coming, isn't there? Isn't it exciting to have things to look forward to? List? And not just TV, Chris, films. Also, don't forget, Succession comes out this Sunday. Yeah. Can't wait. So excited. Yeah. Shall I move on to games? Let's move on to games. So games, I wanted to just briefly talk about FIFA 23. For those avid listeners will remember that my son got this for Christmas. I haven't played it a huge amount, but I did go and play as AFC Richmond from Ted Lasso. And so my son saw a little bit of Ted Lasso. I had it on and he came in the room. He goes, oh, what's that? And I goes, it's a show about AFC Richmond. He goes, oh, yeah, they're in FIFA. They're a real team. I was like, no, they're not a real team. They're a fictitious team. He's like, no, no, they're in FIFA. They're a real team. I was like, no, they got added to FIFA because the TV show is so popular. But you can also play as Wrexham in it as well. So you can play as both Wrexham and AFC Richmond, which I thought was kind of cool how you've got a game slash movie tie-in. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a game with him. We're going to play as each team and have a go. Yeah, I, I saw this when it came out that you could play as, as Richmond FC. And actually, again, you can't see on the camera. I'm wearing my Richmond FC t-shirt tonight, actually. So I am representing a bit of Ted Lasso. Again, this is football. Did play some FIFA back in the day. It's not for me. But I, you know, I, I think this is a really nice use of sort of cross-pollination in media and shows how popular that Ted Lasso has become, that it's now in the consciousness of, of FIFA and putting them into a game. So yeah, I, I, I totally see the appeal. It's great for me because it's the one one team in FIFA that actually knows the names of most of the players, whereas nearly every other team I've got no idea who I'm playing. 
I mean, let's face it, the point of all these things is you're sitting side by side with your son and you're playing a game together. And that's the more interactive and the useful thing about it. It helps that you can boost it with something brand recognizable for you, but that's not the point. I think it helps me. I've got a bit of engagement, haven't I? Because I now know some of the players and I can talk to him about it. Whereas before, I just don't know. But it is just to entertain him. I am awful at FIFA. Fair enough. I don't have an awful lot of feedback in games either this week. I did say last week that one of the free games that would come at PS4, PS5 in the monthly roundup was Battlefield 2142. Battlefield 2142, which I have on PC. I bought it for too much money when it came out because I was a huge Battlefield fan, which was extremely disappointing on launch and I barely touched from that point forward. But it being free on PlayStation made me download it again and have a quick shot. I'm really quite impressed, actually. It's come together really well. There's a huge explosion of new PlayStation players that didn't really know what you were doing, what they were doing. I had a lot of fun. It's back to being a classic Battlefield game again. And anybody who's got a PlayStation and pays for the monthly thing, download it and have a go, because it's really a lot of fun. I can't remember if I pay for the monthly thing or not, but I'll go and have a look after this. Go and have a look and report back because that is a thing we could do a bit of head-to-head on. It's it's some good classic, you know, it's got voice chat built into it. You can play with your mates, you can form a squad, you can do bits and pieces like that. There's lots of fun to be had with sort of attaching explosives to tanks and running away giggling and, you know, as you blow them up, which really tends to upset people. It's it's a good fun game. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm glad it's made a comeback because it had lost its way a little bit, hadn't it? Yeah, and looking at some of the chat online, the established fan base who'd all walked away to play other things are coming back to it as well. It helps that it's free. Apparently it's free on Xbox Games Pass at the moment as well. So they are getting a bit of a groundswell of players coming back to it. It's just the PC players that aren't. But that's not a bad thing because there's a lot of cheating in PC land, as we know, with wall hacks and all sorts of stuff. It's harder to cheat in a console. So this could be good. that's true. It levels the playing field then. Yeah, it does. Particularly if you're not cross-played into PC lobbies because then you're playing with somebody on a keyboard and a mouse and, and all the rest of it. So at least on the PlayStation, you can say, no, only match me with other PlayStation players. So you're going to have a more even experience. Did you know you can plug a mouse and a keyboard in your PlayStation and play like that, though? I did know you could do it. I've never done it. Neither have I. I know it can be done. It's fine on a controller. You know, you get your head around it very quick. It looks very pretty. It's very loud. You know, it's got all the bangs and pops and machine gun noises that you'd want to hear from something like that. It's a bit of fun, frankly. No, sounds good. I should try and check it out. I think the problem I have in the winter is we tend to go in the lounge with the fireplace that doesn't have the, the PS5 in it. So I'm hoping when we start getting some warmth here in the UK that actually I'll, I'll emigrate back into the family room and, and have a go on the PlayStation in the evenings. You need to move it to a different TV if that's the thing. Yeah, possibly, but it's not as good. Not as good. Anything else on games? No, I think that's it. So main show, which... I, I, I say this all the time and then we go along, but I genuinely think we don't have a huge amount to talk about here. Other than there's been a resurgence in chat GPT, which we've talked about repeatedly on this show in terms of this is maybe something we want to keep an eye on. It could be a bit worrying. There are some potential benefits to it, but just something to sort of watch. And my original thing that I wanted to talk about was Siri is awful and you can see something like chat GPT being beneficial to a voice assistant and there a linked article this week is how far behind siri just is anyway there's a whole sequence of articles on people who used to work at apple who've programmed on siri and why it's so slow to implement anything and it's because it's not very clever basically all the words in it are contained within a number of lists and debugging the list when you add word to English, word to Norwegian, word to Chinese, and all the rest of it. By the time it sort of works down those lists, A, you can break a word that's in another language list, and B, 
it just adds lag because it's not doing anything clever. It's literally just parsing a list to work with it. So it's old technology. It's lagging seriously far behind at this point. And you look at the evolution, and we'll talk about where we're seeing some of the implementations of ChatGPT in a minute. But I just thought this is an interesting place to start about how, A, Apple need to be cautious that they could have the lunch stolen here. You know, they could very rapidly lose position to people who are implementing this far more rapidly than they are. Or B, is this why they have been so slow in it? Because they're going to implement something far more dramatic quickly. Yeah, so just to back up what you said there, I think, we could, we we were picking up news for this week's show, and it's like, whoa, we've got loads of stuff about AI, ChatGPT, Apple, and Siri, and it's like, well, actually, we should put all this together. And even Google now is coming to the race a little bit, so it's super interesting. And like you say, it's really moved in the last three months. If you think, I think it was February, Microsoft go, we're going to start putting this AI into some of our products. And then they've got a roadmap for the whole year of, you know, we're going to put it into Office and we're going to do it in Bing and we're going to do it in Dynamics. And they're actually delivering on it. And it's super interesting to see it, you know, just moving on really quickly, which kind of reminds me of, I don't know, 20 years ago when stuff would move a lot quicker. Whereas we haven't had that. We haven't had any real new tech that's being developed out in the open Whereas it certainly feels like we're seeing a lot more evolution very quickly that is publicly consumable. So I, I think it's super interesting. So the links we've got in the show notes, we've got a couple in here about Microsoft putting what they call Copilot and they're going to put it into Office so that you can get it to make you a slide deck or get, get it to help you write a Word document or whatever it may be. And then we've got a couple of links then about what you've mentioned around Siri and AI and how they're you know how they're in a i guess they're in a bit of a bind aren't they because they brought siri out 12 years ago i think it was 2011 siri first got announced hasn't really from an i was gonna say hasn't really evolved from the outside hasn't really evolved it may be available in more languages but if you were an english speaker i don't think it's really moved on and there's a joke even with my young children of how rubbish siri is and then we've got got one saying about how they're trying to test siri in the latest tv and then we've just i've included a couple of other links as well just about Actually, do we need to have some guardrails for artificial intelligence before it starts running wild and we end up in Terminator 2? And then we've got one about Google, how they're, they're announcing. And then I think you've got one that you've just added on the end for Sonos. So you've got lots of really big players in here all doing things around AI, voice, search, traditional making documents and how AI is going to help us. It feels like this is the promise of AI that we've been promised probably for the last 20 years i mean we've talked about it since you and i were at university artificial intelligence has been this thing but i don't think we've ever seen anything tangible come out the back of it and i think this is actually something tangible is coming in 23 and it's actually you know starting to enter real life products that we've got in our hands or in our homes that we can interact with it so i'm going to stop i'm going to make a distinction i don't think this is ai i think this is this is a, a large link a large language model or a linked language module it's, it's an llm is what is what we're talking about here so it's good in context of constructing words you know based on the language that's been shown right okay so that, that's not to cut you off. It's sold as AI. It absolutely is. It's not. It's just very good at, at being able to parse and process text and present it to you. And it's not just text. As you touched on there in your intro, it's, it's, it's images as well. So you can say, here is a string of text that I'd like you to turn into an image. And things like DALI and other image generation programs or LLMs or, or words to that effect can generate an image based on what you put. And some of them are really good. You know, if you put into DALI, Boris Johnson eating chips being attacked by Margaret Thatcher, it will do that for you. You know, or something that looks a bit like that anyway. And 
some of the images it can produce are really quite impressive based on that phrase. Before we go too much further, anybody who's who's listening to have a chat about this, it's worth going to the Microsoft link in the show notes and just watching the co-pilot thing for what they do on that. It's only a 1 minute 36 video, and they give an example of draft a proposal from yesterday's meeting notes, or you know, give it the name of a file, and it will do you, you know, a quick pressy of however many words you want based on that. And it's not just a marketing video. There's an art, a linked article from The Verge, which if it's not in the show notes, I'll make sure it is, where this actually works at this point with this version of ChatGPT. And the, the one that's illustrated here is ChatGPT3, which is what we've been talking about up to this point. The next evolution, ChatGPT4, is even better. And all fairness to Microsoft, they've got in there early, they've implemented it in their products. It scares me slightly that we'll start to see people relying on this to say, create me a presentation based on this. And they don't need to think about it and they rock up and it's wrong because that's one of the things we've been talking about to this point is they're not always accurate. They're just the most likely word to come out next. And that isn't necessarily correct. And in the original Microsoft demo that Microsoft gave, if you recall, there were errors in it. There were two errors for, I can't remember what the exact thing was, but there was an actual error and in Google's Bard presentation as well. So... These can enhance and aid human beings in their, you know, development of, of language-based and potentially picture-based things, but they need to be verified. And the verification step is very much missing. I, I agree with you. It's exciting. These things are moving and they're coming out and it, it's it's fast moving and it's evolving and it's getting better. But I, I, I worry we're missing that verification step yet. So, yeah, I don't disagree with you on the verification step. I find it super interesting that Microsoft appears to be ahead of the curve and they've already productized it, called it Copilot, and they're really getting it out there and it hasn't got some long, awful Microsoft name. And it feels like they've, they've turned very aptly with it. You know, they've got, they've, they've peppered it in their, all their products and they've got a plan for how they're getting it out there. And you, and you look at all the screenshots of it, it looks, it could be on a Mac, you know, it looks very Apple-esque and it's quite interesting how Apple don't seem to be in this space predominantly at the moment. You know, Google are coming out, Microsoft are coming out with it, or Apple, very quietly in the background, have got an aging Siri on their hands. So I'm finding it super interesting. I'm curious to know, this hasn't come out of our version of Office at work yet, but I'm curious when it hits, you know, how much people are actually going to start using it to make their PowerPoints up, and will we notice? I'm sure we will to begin with, but I'm assuming over time, it will get better and better and better. Probably, you know, depending on the language in there. And maybe we'll all learn to look for the telltale signs of all you've done to prepare for this meeting today is bash five words into your co-pilot thing and bang, it's produced a presentation for you. Hang on, you know, come on, Dave, you're going to have to try a bit harder than that. You know, where does that begin and end? But it, it is exciting. It is interesting. I think as a guide to point you in the right direction with that verification step, I think it is useful and exciting. Co-pilot is particularly interesting in the sense that this became a technology because of GitHub, because there was a co-pilot for GitHub to help you write code. And that was over the last year. So they've actually been preparing this in the background for a while. Yeah, okay. That, that is interesting because I knew nothing of co-pilot really until the, I don't know, the last three or four weeks. That's when I, it started to permeate my world. And it is interesting as well because Apple's also cited as not actually working on anything like ChatGPT. So have they? I wonder if they've, they've been blindsided. Maybe they've taken their eye off the ball. I guess if you were trying to be fair to Apple, you could say that there is a certain amount of machine learning, for want of a better thing, in what they do with some of the photographic stuff. You know, they do like that de-hairing thing that we've talked about before on some of the on the photographic side of things. So I don't think they're doing anything, but 
they're potentially going to miss a big leap here. And what, where I'm going with this, I think, is that you know we've been saying that for Apple VR, AR, mixed reality headsets are going to be their sort of next step forward. You could see Facebook and Meta trying to get into that space quickly and others trying to do so too. But have they completely missed this? Have they missed this opportunity to make Siri this, to build it into Max? It looks like you want to do this, you should do this in Keynote. There's so many bits and pieces that they could have been potentially taking advantage of here with the amount of money they've got. You're right, it looks to me like Microsoft certainly have stolen a, a, a leap on them and Google, and this could potentially be a massive competitive advantage for them going forward. Or are Apple working on something so secret that nobody knows anything about it? Because you never know, do you? So it will be interesting, but I'm worried that they've missed the boat. Possibly. I am aware that, was it two years ago, they introduced ML Kit, where you could do a lot of sort of the machine learning stuff on iPhones, and that, that's sort of fairly deeply ingred, uh, embedded into Swift at this point. So they've got the toolkit there. Maybe they've only shown us the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, that's true. They are doing stuff, obviously, in loads of spaces at the moment. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, especially in the WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference, which is normally in June, are they going to have a story to tell then? Or are they just going to ignore it and literally not comment on it? So it's going to be interesting, I think. Well, I did notice just as we're about to record in my Gmail, which I barely use anymore because I've told the, told the story of my moving over to Fastmail and, and all my clients there, that I've been invited to take part in Bard. So maybe I'll have a chance to play with Google's implementation of this in the, over the next week. Yeah, so Google one is interesting because obviously they've come out a little bit behind chat GPT and Microsoft and US users can join the waitlist, and that, but they are rolling out with caution to say and stressing that the AI chatbot is not a replacement for search. Because I, I guess that is the problem. Are people going to try and use it as a search engine, thinking it's a search engine on steroids? And so it looks like they're trying just to taper everybody's enthusiasm. Well, also search slash advertising is their core business, isn't it? So they don't really want people going near that. <laughs> yeah, there is that. You don't want everybody not not getting that ad revenue coming in. So, but it's just interesting that there's just a lot of noise in this space. And an article I've linked to was just about it's to the Financial Times. So hopefully everybody can read it. But it was kind of just saying, actually, do we need to have some guardrails for AI, or are we going to end up in a situation where it gets out of control? I quite like a lot of the Financial Times commentary. I saw it was interesting their take on it, and you know, this is a paper not aimed at techs like you and me, but just aimed at the general population, obviously more with a financial leaning. But interesting their view of the world of actually before this gets too far down the line, when you start policing it a little bit, possibly like with the internet and things, you know, it took off and then it, we had to police some of it. And I guess we want to learn from, from those. those. Yeah, being cautious with de developing technology is not necessarily a bad thing. Let's face it, there are both good stories and bad stories and we don't need to go too far to Skynet. I don't think that Copilot is going to be driving around Terminators and killing us anytime soon. But I do think it's it's worth keeping an eye on for the verification reasons that we're talking about here. That you know, a student at my university putting in a thesis or a piece of work or something based up surely on the output from ChatGPT isn't a million miles away from being possible. In fact, I bet it's already been tried. So definitely, somebody's going to have tried it, aren't they? Almost certainly. You, you can see it now. I, I'm, I'm super curious in the space, and all this talk of Skynet does make me want to go and watch Terminator 2 again. Well, it's a great film. It's fantastic, and in 4K now. Oh, I'll, have, I'll have to look out for it. I do like the first two Terminator films. They're, they're terrific. Yeah, I've not really seen the others. Who, who needs to see the others? So I've just asked ChatGPT, 
who is on the Wake From Sleep podcast and it doesn't know about a Wake From Sleep podcast, so it can't be that good. <laughs> it can't be that good, can it? It can't be that good at all. Is there anything else you want to add about the AI, ML, LM that we've been talking about? Well, I just, the little, the link I put in at the bottom about Sonos voice assistance is just a sort of a, trying to paint a picture of where this can go. Sonos is agnostic about its voice assistance. You can buy a Sonos speaker, you can have their one on there, which is very basic, and it just does, you know, play me a song and it will. But you can actually tell it to use Amazon Alexa, or you can, I'm probably setting them off at this point, or you can use Google. You can actually make that choice in the app for which one you want to use. And they got quite shirty about the fact that they, they would quite like Siri and the ability to put that on their on their speakers. So you got to think a company like Sonos would potentially benefit massively from something like ChatGPT to make their own you know, voice assistant better, or are they just happy in the space they're in at the moment? It's, if you think back to our Matter conversation, open sourcing these kinds of things and making an accessible machine learning slash LLM model for these things could only help make any voice assistant better and may give Sonos a leap into something like, hey, Sonos, switch off the light bulb, which it doesn't do at the moment. It plays music. So I just think it's quite an interesting sort of mental exercise to think about where something like this could end up. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I guess, though, to be fair to Sonos, they've really doubled down on on their niche. You know, they, they're sort of connected speakers and... It's quite interesting how they've just stood their ground and not followed everybody else. They've just carried on doing premium speakers. Is it going to damage Sonos? I don't know. Because I think everybody finds, and I know I do, actually it's quicker just to push a button on my phone than ask ask my voice assistant to do something for me. And so maybe maybe ChatGPT will help them if there's something like that available that they can tap into. I, I don't think it's going to damage them. I just think it's another opportunity. I think they're in a good place is what I'm getting at. I think where all these voice assistants are viewed slightly dimly, I know listening to people talk about the Amazon product at the moment, it's just a big advertising thing at the moment. You ask it to do something and it goes, oh, did you know I can also do this? And Siri doesn't do that because Siri hasn't found it in the first place, frankly. And I, th- I don't think Google does. So I think there's a middle ground in the same way that Sonos have sort of plowed their own furrow and going, we're going to make quality speakers, you know, that do these things very well and we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that. Because they've been agnostic, they may have an opportunity to do something. That's all. No, it makes sense. And sometimes that's where you need a challenger, isn't it, that can make a leap and not have all the baggage of, of previous. So yeah, it could be an option. Anyway. ChatGPT, quite disruptive at the moment, and disruption isn't necessarily bad for the tech market. I think quite disruptive, and whilst it hasn't impacted my world yet, it's looking quite interesting. Yeah, I've just asked Ted La- ChatGPT who Ted Lasso is, and knows a lot more about Ted Lasso, that's for sure. Mm, that's not a shock though, is it? it it's still writing. Uh, I mean, just the first paragraphs, right? Anyway, Ted Lasso is a fictional character created by Jason Sudeikis for the American comedy television series Ted Lasso. The show premiered on Apple TV Plus in August 2020 and has since gained widespread popularity and critical acclaim. That's exactly the information you want, really, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. You can see why. Um, go- what? Sorry, go- you can see why Google are running scared of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how are they going to monetize it? Because that's going to be a whole thing for them. Is a can we do the tech? But b how are we going to you know carry on our business model? Yeah, I don't, I don't need a link. No, I know it's on Apple TV+. Plus. I know who the character is. I know what the premise of the TV show is. Great, off we go. 
just a brief note on Ted Lasso, whilst I was on my training course last week, which was about leadership and somebody else, not me in the audience, actually goes to the instructor. Have you seen Ted Lasso? It teaches a lot of lessons that you're trying to teach us. You should definitely watch it. And the instructor hadn't heard of it or seen it. And we said it was on Apple and they're like, how do I watch that? And so there is that problem. I think that people are worried if they've got an Android device, they don't know how to watch it. But I'm um, interested that it came up from other non-techie people fair good i think we've done that to death but we will keep an eye on it obviously because it is an, an emerging technology and we'll be interested to see what apple do with it particularly at wwdc i believe we've got a listener question this week we do have a listener question from a, a friend of mine called martin who emailed in and said shall i buy a mac mini an m2 mac mini with the base spec and will it run microsoft office and i had a little bit bit of back and forth with him and I said, well, depends what you want to do with it. But yeah, basically it will run Office. It's a fantastic device, especially if you want a Mac, but you don't really know much about it, you know, because it gets you in the door at £649 here in the UK, which is pretty cheap. It's a lot of computer for that. It's probably could have a bit more RAM in it. But equally, I was thinking to my wife, who has an M1 MacBook Air, the first one that came out, she's got the base model. And I've never once had any complaints about A, performance, B, RAM. And obviously, a hard drive is subjective to what you use it to. But I think it would be a great device for anybody wanting to get into a Mac and actually, you know, use it as a web machine or a family computer like I do with my Mac Mini. You can have obviously different profiles on it. It's well-specced. Like I say, you could always have more RAM, more hard drive. But actually, to get you in the door and see if it's a world for you, I think it's a great device at that price point. And obviously you can easily add more drive space if you want to, but you never know how much, if you're new to it, how much you're going to use it. What's your view? I think my short answer is yes. If you don't have very demanding needs for it, if all you want is will it run Office and kind of fire a web, web browser up in it and you know do an Amazon shop or whatever, absolutely, it's a great machine. It's very fast. It's very quiet. It will do exactly everything you need it to do. If you, as soon as you sort of go out of that a little bit, you want to store your photo library on there or you want massive convergence or all the rest of it, it becomes a little more troublesome because you do want that bigger hard disk. You might need a bit more memory if you want to fire up Photoshop and do stuff with it as well. But for the let's say the use case you're using your ipad for absolutely it's a terrific device for that i would agree with that i think it's fantastic and if your world's largely hosted in the cloud like your icloud photo library and you'd, you're not actually looking to download anything to it even the 250 is it 256 gigabyte in the base model yes it is even that that will be fine and i think the m what the m max do such a good job with swapping out the ram and virtual memory that you just don't really notice it like i say my wife has an M1 MacBook and she runs all the Office apps and generally I I load it up and she's left them all open. They've all got various documents in them. She's got mail going on it. But she, like I say, she's never complained about speed and she would normally be quite vocal if something was getting a bit slow. And she's had that device for a couple of years now and it's fantastic. It just performs really well for what was probably about a £999 machine here in the UK. It's fantastic. So I think a base level M2 is going to be more than good enough A, to get your foot in the Mac door but B, like you say, web browsing, using the Office suite of apps. It's fantastic. I do think their Office on the Mac is a subscription because I have purchased that for my wife on her Mac. But because I think I've, I've purchased under my Apple ID, I can't see how much I paid for it because it just says purchase. But I think it's about £60 a year here in the UK. Yeah, I get Office through a corporate account, so I don't know. I, I think you're right. It probably is a subscription. There may be an annual thing as well. It just gets updated as part of my corporate account it works very well these days office for the mac i've got to say you know it's on a par with the pc version i'm sure it's actually better in some ways but i would say that because i'm a mac snob it 
It's a good thing. And on that note, did you notice that Outlook for Mac is actually free now? You can download it. You don't need a subscription for it. Yeah, that is good. I I think it was a bit odd because they've always made Outlook to support multiple accounts. So I I don't see why they went down that avenue. So I'm, I'm glad they've they've broken away from that. What I do do on my wife's laptop is Outlook's got her work email in it and Mail's got her personal email in it. And I, and I do the same on my devices because I find that gives you a good separation between work and home as we were talking before. Yeah. So back to the question. If all you want to do with it is what Chris does, you want some some medium to light work web browsing, you, you know, you want to write some stuff in Word, attach a printer to it, listen to iTunes, maybe edit the odd photograph without storing them on there, and it's sort of a more cloudy thing. And you just want to get a feel for a Mac. What's the terminal like, perhaps? You know, sort of get your feet wet with that kind of stuff. Terrific machine. Instinctively... I kind of say look for a 512 gig hard disk at least. 256 is a bit small considering how operating systems get bigger every year. This is a machine that may last up to seven years based on what we've seen so far from Apple stuff. So I kind of think maybe if you can spring for a slightly bigger hard disk, it's more important than the RAM in this case because it's soldered to the motherboard. Might be worth just a brief tour past refurb M1s to see what's in that market in the 512. You know, maybe 16 gigabyte line just to give yourself that bit of breathing room on it. But like I say, for the light use case, get familiar Mac, it's almost a no-brainer. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. Like I say, it gets you through the door. You can put a hard drive on it, but it depends where you're going to have it. The hard drive will probably make noises. It will cost you some money. You've then got to point your photo library at it. But I think they're fantastic, and they look great. They've got loads of ports on them, lots of expandability. It will drive a good screen. You know, If you reach a point where you want to put a big monitor on it or multiple, it, it will drive it. So I think they're a great device. My children use it all the time. It's a great family device for us with multiple profiles on it. So yeah, would would recommend. So there you go. That's a simple answer, Martin. If it's light, go buy it. Yeah, if you're going to be editing video, you're going to want a bigger hard drive. You're going to want a bigger hard drive. Moving on. Uh, I don't have an app of the week this week. I will save one for next week. You've got a thing of the week, though. Yeah, you need to maybe change your... Maybe we should have things of the week and we both 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 bring something to the table instead of just apps maybe but my thing of the week this week i don't know if you've had a look at this but it's a sony gallery and they've got some designs of various pieces of hardware from 1960 to 1980 1980 to 2000 and 2000 i'm guessing to now but just some really great stuff in here and it kind of reminds me and i don't know if you ever saw it but the apple book that johnny ive did before he left apple of basically the last 20 years of apple where he designed various things and had some amazing photography of various industrial designs but i thought this was a cool thing you can just go and see some old walkmen or dictaphones printers various laptops and some of it's just amazing great photography and just some really iconic pieces they've got like a mini display in there some like i say walkman i think somewhere i've seen a nice bright yellow walkman fm just fantastic and the, like i say the product photography is great the, you know the, the products in it are great it's just so well done and curated just a nice bit of you know tech art i guess yeah i think that's fair i hadn't really seen it before i i, I was aware I'd, I'd seen some posts on mastodon about it because sony had a very strong and still has a very strong design brand in the same way that Apple does. Obviously, they, they span more than Apple does. It's funny, the first thing I clicked on was an NEX 7 camera that I had from a few years ago. I'm immediately disappointed there's only one photograph of it. I kind of want to view it from other angles and things. So that feels a bit of a letdown. At the same time, I see where you're coming from. There are some terrific, iconic products that Sony have made over the years, and it's great to gather them all in one place like this. 
nice clear image image of ones I've clicked on so far. It feels like it could do like a VR gallery or a 360 on some of these things to sort of really maximize it because it gives you a, t a hint of what you really want it to be. I, I kind of want more. Is that, am I being selfish? Uh, no, I don't disagree. It'd be great to see it all angles if you, if you couldn't do VR. Some do have other thumbnails under the little description. I think it would be good to see a bit more, but this is great and they should do companies should do stuff like this especially sony like you say very famed for design what i find interesting though is they haven't got a single sort of aesthetic whereas apple's probably you can you can usually tell an apple device from afar whereas sony stuff's all over the spectrum you know they they build so many different products they're all they've all got all got a different like design aesthetic to them so they probably in more recent years if you look at it got very a lot more similar, I guess, across their product ranges. But I just found it super interesting. I've always liked Sony stuff. I did like the PSP they had on there because I used to have one of those. But just just great to see some of it. And just stuff I've forgotten over time. It's been lost to the sands of time. Yeah, it's a lovely thing. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I'll, I'm likely more likely to give Sony a pass because they have been around for as long as they have. You know, it's a company that's been around a lot longer than Apple, at least 40 years longer than Apple. I think 1960s were, well, at least 20 years longer than Apple then. And, and they've always had that sort of look about them. I think you could tell a Sony product compared to some of the, you know, some of the other knockoffs or some of their competitors that came later. And things like the Walkman, the PlayStation, you know, there was some real iconic design in the original PlayStation and the controllers and things like that that sort of permeated their lineup beyond that. And I, I clicked on the PSP as well, I gotta say. The uh, PS2 looks amazing as well. I had one of them. What a piece of kit. Yeah, that's it's fun. It's a nice little website. If you've ever had anything Sony related, I think it's worth a click on the on the link that Chris has put in the show notes there because it's quite a nice little website. Um, yeah, I, I I I agree with you, but it it just doesn't quite go far enough for me that I want to see them in a bit more detail. If you're going to give us this teaser, I want more of a taste. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think it would be good to see a bit more on that. I like to see some of the old phones as well because I've had a few Sony phones with styluses and big touch screens back in the day, so. Yeah, I'd like to see a bit more, but if they carry on doing this, fantastic. Fair enough. Good. I think we can call that a show, Chris. If you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at prosunmail.com. Chris is at underscore cjp at mastodon.social, and I am at g5maniac at mastodon.scot. Have a good week, Chris. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, Rob.